Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Oh, I hope you're happy to be here. I hope you're excited. Uh, if uh, nerves have gotten the best of us in anything this morning, I apologize for any technical difficulties, but we're just so pumped that we finally get to do church together here, and we get to do this every single week. So I know we've said it like 18 times. I'm going to say it again. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, it is truly an honor to have friends, family, and some new faces in the building. Uh, I'd like to share uh, a brief word with you this morning. We'll take about 28 minutes, 29 minutes, according to the clock in front of me here, and uh, I'll share as best as I can with you and hopefully inspire you. Um, But I do want to say this, starting next week, uh, we are going to begin our first series as a church, and we're calling this series Welcome Home. And uh, as Robin mentioned, the the big sign there in the lobby, uh, it says Welcome Home, and that's not just a mantra around here. We really do believe and hope that as you walk into this place, you would sense that this is a family, that this is people that genuinely love each other, that will fight for each other, that will care for each other, that will walk through seasons of life that maybe others might abandon you in. That's not us. We, we, we want to be with you during everything, during every season, pray with you, believe with you. So um, as we go into that series, uh, you know, you've probably experienced this before. You walk into somebody's house, and every home has a culture, right? Uh, some people are like, you got to remove your shoes. Other people clearly have never removed their shoes uh, the entire time they've had that house. So uh, there's certain things that you just understand when you walk into a home, like, okay, this culture is strong here. And I believe if we, t- if we take a few weeks and we just talk about the culture that God has called us to create in this city, a culture of honor and a culture of acceptance and a culture of belonging and a culture of family, uh, that we we can be a place when people who haven't been here yet walk into the room, they'll sense it, they'll feel it, and they'll immediately say, like the sign says, I feel welcomed home in this place. So uh, please join us next week, and if for no other reason to get Warriors tickets, okay? Like that's, that's, that's worth it alone just to come back into church. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that one of the preseason games might be in there as well. So uh, it could be as soon as next week you're going to a game. Okay, good. All right. Are you guys ready for me to preach for a few minutes actually? You ready for the Word of God today? you it is incredibly challenging trying to figure out like what do you say like for the first time you like have a church service uh but uh there's a scripture that that god dropped into my heart a couple of months ago and i've just been sitting in there marinating for a few months and uh i really do believe that if we tune our hearts to what the holy spirit would say this morning uh that there'd be something ignited in us a faith that would be ignited in us to believe for a great move of god in this city uh that is historic in nature so if you've got a bible would you open it up to the book of Nehemiah, and uh, we're going to look at chapter 4 here, and if you don't have a Bible, fear not, uh, we'll have these up on the screen, and if you need a Bible, we got a bunch of them in the lobby, we'd be happy to give you one for free, uh, but let me give you some context for this story before uh, we, get, we begin preaching it. Uh, Nehemiah, at this time in history, is a, is a guy that was born into Babylon, and into Babylon during a season when God's people, the Israelites, were in captivity. Uh, during this time, he was the cupbearer to the king, meaning uh, his job was to taste anything that the king was supposed to drink to ensure that it wasn't poisonous. And if it was, he would die and the king wouldn't. Uh, and if it wasn't, then he got to taste great wine and pass it off to the king. Uh, so, so not like a job that most of us would sign up for. Like that's a pretty sketchy one for sure. But uh, in, in those days, being the cupbearer to the king was a very honorable position. It was someone that was very close to the king, someone who was very intimate with the king. Not very many people had that level of access to the king. And so Nehemiah had this great job. Things were going well for him. Uh, And in fact, during his lifetime, uh, the people of God were released out of captivity in Babylon and sent back to Jerusalem, uh, the city that they were supposed to be in all along, the place of peace. 
And as the people of God go back to Jerusalem, uh, one of Nehemiah's brothers goes along with some of his family, and he comes back to uh, the king's palace, and he finds his brother, Nehemiah, and he says, hey, I want to give you a report of what I've discovered in Jerusalem. And he begins to share with his brother that the Jerusalem, this place that should be a place of peace, that should be a place where the people of God gather, is actually turned into nothing more than a pile of rocks, heap of rubble, burnt down, a decimated city, a disenfranchised people. Things don't look good for the Jews. And as he tells Nehemiah this news, a young man, Nehemiah catches a burden for the people of God and the city of God, and he begins to weep. And as he weeps, he begins to pray, and he reminds God of promises that God had made many generations prior, promises like, if your people would come back to you, if they would repent of their sin, and they'd follow you again, you promised that you would reestablish their city, that you would give them a place that they could find peace and victory. And for days, he fasts and he prays, and as he's doing so, God gives him this commission to go back and actually do something about the condition of the city. He says, I'm not going to just stay here and exist in the palace and enjoy things the way they are. I actually have to go and make a change. I have to do something about what I know now. So he heads back, and as he goes to Jerusalem, things look good for the first half of the journey. Like, he gets a bunch of Israelites together. They, they rally. They're like, yeah, we're going to build this wall. It's going to be great. The walls are broken down, but we believe we can do this. And they get about halfway done. And while they're halfway done, uh, this group of Amorites and em enemies from the surrounding territories uh, begin to feel threatened by Israel's presence once again in their city. And, and they're like, okay, if these guys are rebuilding this place, it's only a matter of time before they take over, before they ruin uh, us, before, they, before they, they come to war against us. So we have to oppose this work of God. And so they begin to come against the Israelites and threaten, but no, no real like swords have come out, no real battle at this point. And then all of a sudden, as the wall gets about three-quarters of the way done, they realize, oh, these guys are serious. Like, something's actually going to happen here. And so they circle the city, and now the Israelites are surrounded by the enemy nations that surround them. Threats of war are coming. It's only a matter of time before the enemy swoops in and takes them out. Because, again, they've been disenfranchised for some time now. They don't have a strong, uh, a strong military. And so in this setting, Nehemiah, the leader of the people, steps up in chapter 4, and he makes this statement in verse 14. He says, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and the other hand carrying a weapon. And I don't want to bore you with the rest of the details, but ultimately they were successful in rebuilding the wall. And here's what it says in chapter 6, verse 15. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days, an expedient work after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and they were humiliated. I love that. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Uh, as we jump in this morning and we preach the first message together, uh, I want to title this sermon, Remember St. Francis. Remember St. Francis. Let's pray and we're going to jump in. Jesus, I love you today. And I thank you so much for every person in this room. I thank you that none of us are here by accident, whether it was a response to a card or a response to an invitation. 
uh, whether we were just looking around for a church and found a website, whatever the case might be, you, you led us to this point. Every person here is because, Holy Spirit, you drew them into the room. And Lord, I pray that this morning, this would be more than words, this would be more than scriptures that we've read many times before, but that there would be a seed that's planted in every single heart that would take root, that it would begin to grow, that our faith would be stirred, and God, that we would believe as we leave this place today that the greatest days for this city are not behind it, but they are in fact ahead. There are good things to come for San Francisco. In your name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, there is a phrase in life that you've probably heard before, and maybe you've used this phrase before. If you have kids, I guarantee you, you have used this phrase before. And it goes like this. Sometimes in life, you just have to choose your battles. You've heard that before? Yes. You can raise your hand. This is audience participation. It's good. Okay. Good. I see you, and I know that you see me, all right? So we can, we can talk. It's great. Sometimes in life, you just have to choose your battles. And, and that statement carries with it the assumption that in life, there are certain tensions to manage, things that you just don't worry about and you kind of leave alone. And then there are battles that are worth fighting, things that are worth engaging in. The outcome is worth the fight. Uh, I am one of those people, and perhaps it's, uh, as my wife tells me, because I am an eight wing seven on the Enneagram scale, if any of you are familiar with that particular system right now. <laughs> you guys are like a cult, all of you Enneagram people, just so you know. But... I actually really believe in it. It's a great system. But uh, I'm one of those people that does not really have the ability to manage tension very well. Like, I'm a really good go-to-battle kind of guy and not a very good just-let-things-go kind of guy. Like, have you ever met that dude that can't shut his mouth, can't bite his tongue, always seems to say that, yeah, okay, that, I'm, I'm that dude for sure. Uh, and, and not to say that I haven't managed some tensions well in my life. Um, I have all females living in my home. And when you live with all women, uh, there are certain tensions you learn to manage for sure. Like two daughters, uh, my wife, uh, the cat that I allow to live with us is female. Uh, you notice how I worded that, right? Just not my cat, the cat that I allow to live with us. Um, like punctuality, showing up on time, that's just a tension to manage. That's not a battle worth fighting. Uh, the cleanliness of our vehicles, that's a tension to manage, not a battle to fight. Uh, making a, a first-time selection on clothing rather than changing eight times before you walk out. Like literally last night, it took me 30 minutes to convince my daughter to wear the shirt and, and pants that she's wearing. And she's in kids' church this morning because she's like, well, I just don't, I think this would look better with this one. And this. I'm like, you are seven years old for the love of God. Like, please. Tension to manage, not a battle to fight. Uh, but if I see something that I really feel needs to be changed, if there's something that, that agitates me, that gets under my skin, I am the guy that will immediately open up his mouth and go to battle for it. Um, I, I'll never forget uh, my, my youngest daughter, who is now five. She had just been born uh, maybe six or seven weeks prior to this, but um, we hadn't left the house, as you do with a new baby. We hadn't been on a date in a while. And about six or seven weeks after she was born, we finally got a babysitter and said, okay, we need to get out of the house and do something together. And, like, we skimmed through the movies that were available at the movie theater, and, like, nothing good was out. So we ended up going to see Hunger Games 2. It was like that was all there was. Uh, that was the only option. And if you're into that, that's cool. I'm sorry if I offended you by saying there was nothing good out <laughs> But there was nothing good out. And uh, so we show up to the movie theater, and uh, we got our, our, our popcorn, and we've got our water. And uh, in true fashion, my wife snuck in snacks from outside the movie theater that you're not supposed to sneak into the movie theater. And I bought my stuff from the counter because I'm a Christian. Uh, and uh, <laughs> True story. Um, and uh, we're sitting down in the movie theater. We're getting ready for the movie to start. 
And in walks this family, this uh, mother and father, and then this two-year-old little girl. And she sits down in the movie theater in a seat next to her mom. And, and at first I'm like, man, that's odd that like, you know, this little girl would come to Hunger Games. This doesn't seem like a very appropriate movie for the daughter. Maybe they'll put her on an iPad or something and, you know, she'll watch something else. But no, she's just sitting there just quietly looking at the screen, ready to watch the movie with her parents. And I'm like, what kind of parent lets their kid watch Hunger Games at two years old? So I turn to my wife and I'm like, babe, this is unacceptable. Like, not okay. Like, I've been a parent for five years. I know that this is not okay. I have all the wisdom in the world. Uh, actually, I think I'd only been a parent for like two years at that point. Whatever, it doesn't matter. So I'm like, I'm going to say something. She said, you will not say something. You will shut up and you will sit there. I'm like, okay. So all of a sudden, the, uh, the, 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 the previews start rolling. And as the previews start rolling, because of the nature of the movie we were seeing, there was some incredibly dark, demonic, evil previews that were being put up on the screen. And so the first one was about this like girl that was like possessed by a demon and like, you know, there's all this weird, dark stuff happening. And I'm watching this little girl sit in the seat next to her parents, just staring at this screen, just all this information getting into her. And I'm like, babe, I got to sit. You, 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 I'm. So I finally leaned forward. I'm like, I can't take this anymore. I said, excuse me, ma'am. Um, I noticed that you have a daughter. I have a daughter too. Uh, that means I can give you some advice. And here's, here's, here's the deal. Like, this is absolutely inappropriate. Like, your two-year-old daughter should not be sitting in this movie theater right now watching the screen. Do you see what's up there right now? Is this what you want her dreaming about? Is this what you want her thinking about? Like, what kind of parent does this? You need to take your, your kid out of, out of this theater. And the dad just sat there and said nothing. So... The lady looks at me and she's like, oh, she's fine. She doesn't, she doesn't remember. We do this all the time at home. She doesn't remember any of this stuff, da 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 I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I lean back forward. I'm like, here, I understand what you said, but here's the deal. Like, like my daughter's two, and there's no way that your two-year-old daughter doesn't remember this stuff. She's dreaming about this at night. It's messing with her in her sleep. Come on. Are you really, you really, are you really that dense? You're going to just leave your kid here? Like, get your kid out of the theater. What's the matter with you? And she kind of looks at me and shakes her head. And so I lean back, and I'm like, well, I fought the battle. Nothing happened. I guess it's fine. About 10 seconds later, she gets up, and she walks out of the movie theater. And I'm like, yes, I win. The dad stays in the movie theater. I'm like, oh, I'm about to say something to this dude, too. <laughs> Robin holds me back. We make it through the movie, okay? Movie's done. As the credits are rolling, we get up from our seats, and we walk out of the movie theater. And I turn left to walk out. And as I turn left, I see the mother on the bench with her two-year-old kid asleep in her arms meaning that she sat out there for the entirety of the movie with that kid in her arms while the dad sat in the movie theater and decided to enjoy it for himself. So now I'm hot, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So I start walking towards him. I'm like, okay, this is, this is going down. Like, this is, this is my job to fix this situation. Like, I'm a pastor. This is what pastors do. They coach people, right? So... I'm like, I'm going to say something. Robin grabs my arm. And she begs me, brings me back. She says, you shut up. You shut up. We're going home right now. You shut up. I shut up. And we left the movie theater, and that's the rest was history. It was great. It was awesome. But I am that guy. Like, I'm that guy. If, if I see something that isn't right, if I see something that is unjust, if I see something that, that shouldn't be, I can't just sit back and recline in my seat 
and watch this take place, knowing that I have the power within myself, within my voice, within my ability to do something about it and to bring about change. Like, I, I just, I'm that guy, if there's a battle that's, that's ready to be fought, sign me up, put me on the front lines. I will fight that battle if the payoff is worth it. And in and, and history, if you look through our history books, the household names that you'd be aware of, it is, it is littered with people who had that same thing on the inside of them that said, I cannot manage the tension of this situation any longer. The world should not be this way. I'm going to do something to bring about change. Whether it's Martin Luther King Jr. or Harriet Tubman or Susan B. Anthony or George Washington, go down the list. Michael Jackson. tired of bad music, so he brought some good music to the world. Like, there are people <laughs> that, that just refuse to allow things to stay as they are. People that say, I can't manage this tension anymore. Something on the inside of me is telling me I got to do something about this. And, and although he's not a household name, I think that that Nehemiah would be listed among the greats of history. The reformers, the revivalists that said, I can't allow things to remain as they are. Knowing that I have the ability to do something about it, I can't recline. i got to fight for something. Like, like when you think about this guy's existence, and maybe in, in modern day terms, you know, he's living in a great house and things are going well and he's affluent and he's got influence with people of authority. Like everything is working well for him. And yet this news about a city that he didn't grow up in, in fact, he... He wasn't even old enough to know what Jerusalem's former glory days looked like. Like, he didn't know what it was supposed to be like, but the Holy Spirit did something on the inside of him that, that agitated him to the point where he said, I'm going to forsake my comfort. I'm going to forsake my influence. I'm going to throw everything else aside because nothing matters more than me doing something about the injustice that I see in this city. This matters enough to fight. This is a city that's worth fighting for. He got this, this unacceptable on the inside of him. And here's what I find interesting about this whole situation. This was not new news. This was not new information. Like, Jerusalem had been in this situation for about 70 years at this point. This is old news. Broken down walls, charred, people disenfranchised. I mean, that's, that's old news. But something about that old news stirred up a new passion on the inside of Nehemiah where he said, this might be old, but there's something in me that tells me it doesn't have to be this way. Things can change. Well, well let, me, let me offer you some old news this morning. Here's some things you probably already know and maybe you've heard a hundred times before. San Francisco, it's the most unreached city in this nation. Less than 1% of our people here in San Francisco go to church on the weekend, claim to be Christians, we're, we're the same as most other third world godless nations. It's the most unreached. More people here don't know Jesus than anybody else. In fact, it's been called a graveyard for churches. People who come here, they've tried, they've been at it for five, 10 years, and most churches who've tried to make their way into the city shut down within the first couple of years. They go bankrupt. Why? Because, well, people in San Francisco just don't want anything to do with God. That's old news. We, 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 have, we have our intelligence here. We have our, 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 our educational systems. We have tech. We have the greatest minds and the greatest influence. Like, 
Like, we don't need your crutch called God. That's, that's old news here. San Francisco is one of the main ports for human trafficking victims that are being brought into the country and abused. Old news. Old news. It's, it's, it's one of the, the largest populations of homeless people in the country here in San Francisco. You've probably encountered many of them. And, and then all that stuff, it's just, it's old news. We know this already. But I think that when God begins to change the season for a city, that when God begins to say, there's something more than what you see with your eyes, this old news has the ability to ignite a new passion in the hearts and ears of anybody that's listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And just as it was with Nehemiah, there can be something that arises on the inside of a believer that says, no, I know that's old news, but there's still good news about Jesus, and it's unacceptable to me that those stats exist, and I'm actually gonna do something about it. I can't just sit here and wait. I'm gonna go. Let, let me tell you about my Nehemiah moment. Five years ago, sitting in my pastor's uh, living room, my wife and I were sitting there talking with him about uh, youth ministry and other things we were involved with at the time. And he makes a passing statement and he just says, man, I, I really feel like, you know, what God's doing in New York could be done in San Francisco. We're seeing all these new churches birthed and thousands of people coming to Christ and, uh, you know, the Jesus movement there that happened years ago. I think, I think that that could happen again. And he just makes this passing statement. He's like, I think you and Robin could, could be a part of something like that. And then we went on and talked about something else. But the same way that Nehemiah's brother came and just shared briefly with him the condition of Jerusalem, there was something supernatural about that conversation. And a seed got planted into my heart, and I could not shake it. We'd come out here every other week, and then we would start coming out here every week, and then we'd, we'd come a couple of times a week, and we'd just drive around the streets here, and we'd pray, and we'd listen, and we'd say, God, what do you want to do in San Francisco? And we're like, I think God's called us to plant a church there. I'm like, okay, we'll pray some more and fast some more and just make sure because you don't want to go into a place like that unless you know that Jesus has called you. And for four years, we prayed and we asked and we fasted and we sought the heart of God until we moved here about a year ago. And we knew that this season was was ripe for harvest, that God was not done with this city, that its greatest days were not behind it, but they will still, they are still in fact ahead and that there is still a plan for a move of God in San Francisco. I got this unacceptable in my heart, and I'm like, it's unacceptable to me that only 1% of San Francisco knows Jesus. I live 45 minutes away from here. I am not gonna stand before Jesus one day and give an account for the life that he gave me and say, I lived in my comfortable three-bedroom, two-bath home, 2,100 square feet for $1,400 a month with parking out front and a summer that actually feels like summer. Like, I can't tell him that. No, I'll go to the 58-degree summer in San Francisco. I'll pay an astronomical amount of money for rent. We'll pay a ton of money to rent a building out every single sunny, Sunday because there are people in this city that desperately need to know Jesus, and we can do something about it. There's got to be something in our hearts that goes, things cannot remain as they are. This is a city that's worth fighting for. Now, when I read this story of Nehemiah, um, there are a couple of things that he did, a couple of statements that he made, and I believe that those statements can ignite the kind of passion in the heart of a listener that would cause them to fight for a city. Call them strategic statements, if you will. And listen, these are not just for our city. Anytime 
You need to fight for spiritual ground in your life. Anything there's something that you know is not right, these are statements that you can use. Listen, living with Jesus is a fight. Okay, this, don't think for a moment that a move of God in San Francisco is just left up to sovereignty and it's gonna happen whether we like it or not. Now, if you, if you wanna take ground in the spirit, it will be a fight. Your marriage, it'll be a fight. You want kids that love Jesus, not just now when they're five, but when they're 55, it's gonna be a fight. You wanna run after the high call of God for your life, it's gonna be a fight. You wanna remain pure, it's gonna be a fight. But all of those are fights worth picking and fights worth engaging in because the outcome is greater. And if we're gonna win this city, it will be a fight. You cannot take spiritual real estate without a fight. Any ground gained in the kingdom will be a fight, especially ground as strategic and as instrumental as San Francisco, where it affects not just the city, but the reaches of the world. It will be a fight. But I believe if we listen to this story and if we draw a couple of thoughts out of this story, we can engage in this fight well. And here's the beauty of being a believer. We already know the outcome of the fight. If we fight, we win every single time. Come on, because Jesus is greater than any enemy that will come against us. Number one, here's what Nehemiah says to his people. I'm gonna give you a few thoughts here. Number one, he says, remember our God who is great and glorious. Remember our God who is great and glorious. As the enemy surrounds Jerusalem, as they begin to breathe threats of warfare against the Israelites, Nehemiah notices that his people are paying attention to the words of the enemy. When you find yourself surrounded by an enemy, guess whose voice it's very easy to listen to? The threats of your enemy. And their ear was tuned to what the enemy was saying. And so Nehemiah rallies his people together and he says, guys, 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 you can't listen to that. You can't let that into your spirit. I understand that's an enemy, but let me refocus your attention for a moment. Don't remember how big the enemy is. Remember our God who is great and glorious. He begins to take their eyes off of the enemy and set their eyes on the one who is greater than the enemy. And I love this line. He says, he is great and glorious. And glorious in the Hebrew, it means to be feared. In other words, if anyone should be afraid, it's your enemy. Because your enemy is God's enemy. God is the only one in this situation who should be feared, not the enemy. And as long as God remains greater than your enemy, you can be at peace, you can chill out. Just remember that you're serving a great God who is bigger than the one that you're facing. Listen, if we're gonna take this city, if you're gonna take spiritual ground that God has called you to take, you've gotta get your ear and your eyes off of the enemy and you need to focus in on the size and the scope of the God that you serve. He is great and he is to be feared. I, I think the devil gets way too much credit anyway. People blame the devil for everything. Like, oh, it's just the devil, you know? Like, it's like, man, the devil's really coming against my purity right now, you know? The devil's, the devil's just really coming against my finances right now, and the devil's really coming against my, it's just the devil's in my marriage, you know, the devil's everywhere. Devil, 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 devil. Like, searching under every rock for a devil. Okay, possibly, or maybe, your finances are the way they are because you don't give, you don't save, and you overspend. Maybe your purity is that way because you spend a little too much time on the search section of Instagram. Maybe your marriage is that way because you're not really serving your spouse, not because the devil's involved in it, but because you're waiting for your spouse to serve you. Or, or maybe this meme quote will help you out uh, this morning. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, Everything happens for a reason, but sometimes that reason is that you're stupid and you make bad decisions. <laughs> Uh, 
You're welcome. Take it off the screen. It's offending somebody. Um, Listen, quit blaming the devil for everything. Don't even give voice to it. Nehemiah didn't even address the enemy. He didn't talk about the enemy surrounding him. All he did was say, hey, ignore the enemy. Focus on the fact that you have a God that is greater than the enemy you're facing. As long as you focus on God and you get your attention on God, you'll begin to see the difference between the size of your enemy and the size of the God you serve. There is no weapon formed against you that's going to prosper. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. If God arises, his enemies will always be scattered. Come on. You serve a God that is great and glorious, and the victory is yours as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember your God, who is great and glorious. And then the second thing he says is this. He says, remember your God who is great and glorious, and, and, and remember what you're fighting for. Remember what you're fighting for. And, and he does not say, following that statement, well, you're fighting for walls, you're, you're fighting for a city, you're fighting for real estate, all the things we would expect him to say, he does not say. Here's what he says. You're fighting for your brothers, for your sisters, for your mothers, for your fathers, for your spouses. You're fighting for your households. Translation, you're fighting for people. You're not fighting for what you see with your eyes. You're fighting for people. You're fighting for your kids that haven't even been born yet. You're fighting for the people that aren't even here yet. They're, they're still making their way out of captivity into the city of God. Like, you're fighting for those people. See, I, I think the world has become far too aware of what they think the church is fighting against and not really aware of what the church is fighting for. Like, the, the, the church has become progressively irrelevant to our city and to many people in our nation, not because Jesus has lost his power or doesn't work anymore. No, he still heals, he still restores, he still saves. But because the church has been getting in the way, opening their mouth, talking about everything that they're against. We're against this political party, and we're against people of that persuasion, and we're against this people group. And suddenly the church has just become a place where people think, I'm not welcome there because they're against everything that I believe in. At the cost of what? At the cost of the very people that we're trying to reach. Listen, we will not be that kind of church. Let me, let me draw a line in the sand this morning on day one of the Father's house. We are 100% unapologetically, unequivocally about people. People that are not here yet, people that are broken, people that are disenfranchised, the rich, the poor, anyone in between, your friends, your family members, your coworkers that don't know Jesus yet. As far as I'm concerned, the greatest injustice is they don't know Jesus. And we're going to do everything within our power short of sin to ensure that they make their way into the house of God, that they feel welcomed into the family, that they encounter the reality of Jesus, that they're baptized in water and they're raised to new life, and that they discover that there's more to this life than just amassing more for themselves, but they can serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they can make a difference before they see him in heaven. We are here for people. People are worth fighting for. And let me say this, if you're here this morning and you would, you would say that maybe there's a distance between you and Jesus, maybe you're here this morning and, and someone invited you and you haven't been to church in a long time or maybe you've never been to church before and you're just listening to all this and trying to comprehend as much as possible but you, you, you maybe sense like, man, 
there's something in me that isn't right with God and I need to fix that. Fear not, we'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the service. But let me say this and let me look in your eye as I say it. We're here for you. Like all of this is for you. Every sacrifice, every prayer, every meal missed, fasting, and just believing that God was gonna do something in this city. We are here for people and you are those people. And I hope that as you walked into this place today, you just sensed, man, this is, a, this is a group I could call family. You're worth fighting for. And we fought to get here to be with you. And I hope that you would join the ranks and you would fight for the people that are in the same situation that you were in before you walked into the room today. People are always worth fighting for. Remember our God, who is great and glorious. And remember who you're fighting for. And then I'm going to throw a third in there that has nothing to do with the text but I'm told that people like three points, so here it goes. And as I say this band, you guys can come. We're gonna close up. Remember our God. Remember you're fighting for people. And then remember St. Francis. Remember St. Francis. If you, if you were uh, one of those who had a chance to get on our website and look at the About Us page, and maybe you watched the video uh, where Robin and I were interviewed and asking about the process to get out here. You, you might have heard this story before, but I'll, I'll abbreviate it for those who haven't heard it. Um, as the Holy Spirit was speaking to us about coming out to the city, um, and we went on a, a kind of an extended fast to just confirm that this is where we were supposed to be. Um, I set out on day one of that fast in my study, and I was praying, and I said, God, I, I, really, I really need to hear from you. Like, I don't want to do this unless this is you. I, I don't... I don't want to think naively that, you know, we can go and we can do something great in the city unless you're, you're going before us into this territory and you've already paved the way. I, I need a sign. I'm not usually the sign guy like, Jesus, show me the dove in the air to let me know that it's you. You know, I'm not that dude. I'm like, I need a sign. I need something. As I'm sitting there in my chair and my iTunes is playing randomly, there's thousands of songs on my iTunes. Uh, suddenly, as I utter those words, the song changes to a song that was written by a gal named Christine Mueller called St. Francis. And, and the lyrics of the song just began to wreck me as I was sitting in my chair, praying and listening to God. And, and I'll read you a few of them here this morning just so you can get a glimpse of what I believe God is saying over our city. But as she sang, she said, there's a love hidden inside your borders just waiting to be free, just waiting to be free. There's a hope hidden inside your borders, just waiting to be realized, just waiting to be realized. So keep hoping, St. Francis, you'd be a free man yet. You'll see the sun shine on your city streets again. Keep hoping, St. Francis, you'll be a free man yet. Though dark covers your sleeping love, it won't last. Those, those lyrics just wrecked me. Because I think so many people in the city have lost hope for a move of God. I think so many Christians even these days are just huddled away waiting for Jesus to show up one day. Like, okay, this city, we've already handed it over to the enemy, it's gone. But we, we have a hope that is gonna bring about change in this city that will be historic in nature. And we need to remember St. Francis, the very name that the city was named after. Most of you know that the city was named after a saint that died in 1226. But when the city was established 550 years later in 1776, uh, they decided to name it after this dead guy named St. Francis. And I don't know about you, but if there's something that caused people to remember my name 550 years later, like I wanna live that kind of a life. 
Like, what did this guy do that, that people remembered him so much later and decided to name one of the most influential cities on the planet after? Like, what was so special about this guy? So I became obsessed with his story and I read about it over and over and over again. And you've probably heard before that St. Francis was the guy who abandoned his, uh, his affluence and sold everything he owned so that he could beg for money for the poor and give that, that money to those that were less fortunate than him. And that is true, and it was one of the, uh, the hallmarks of his life, but if you read his biography, he, he, he talks about a, a moment where everything changed for him. Maybe this is a story you haven't heard before, but he says that while he was sitting in a, in a, in a church next to his city, he was praying, God, show me how you can use me. Show me what you want me to do. I'll do anything for you. And in that moment, he saw a vision of Jesus on a crucifix. And Jesus spoke to him and he said, Francis, I want you to rebuild my church. And he said that that moment was the catalyst for everything else that he did in life. A moment where God spoke to him and said, my church is not in the condition it needs to be in. The influence it should have is not there. The people who should be in the room are not in the room yet. Francis, I want you to do something about this. And he spent the rest of his life doing everything he could to rebuild the church of Jesus Christ. And here we sit, hundreds of years later, in a city that has been named after a man whose life ambition was to do nothing but to build the church. This city was named after someone who saw an injustice in the world and said, the church is not where it should be yet. People are not here that should be here. The influence that it should have does not exist. And I will give every last one of my days until my breath is gone to see that influence restored, to see the church rebuilt, and to see that place filled again with people that should be in the house of God. I do not want our city to be known for all the exports it's known for right now. I think it ought to be known by the very name that it, that it has, the name that was given to it, a name that was all about rebuilding the church of Jesus, a name that was all about preaching the gospel and helping the poor. Listen, God is not done. He still heals, He still saves, He still restores, and He still has a plan for St. Francis. Come on, I want that to get on every single person in this room something that would compel you to say, I'm gonna give every last one of my days until I see the legacy of St. Francis reborn in this city. We're gonna build the church. We're gonna to have to go to multiple services, not because we, you know, we're some big show in town, but I believe that as we put a light up on a post and say, Jesus is here, come all who are weary, come all who are broken, come all who are thirsty, come to the house of God. As we, as we simply do what he's asked us to do, this room and this city cannot contain the move of God that he wants to send with people that would just say yes to him today. Come on, I commission you today on day one of this church. Don't be one that sits back and manages the tensions of this city. The spiritual tensions of San Francisco are not to be managed. This is a battle worth fighting. This is a city worth fighting for. Those are people worth fighting for. And we're gonna give our lives to see the church established in this place until we see him in heaven, amen? Come on, amen? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.